Lord, today we thank you that you are our way maker. We thank you that you are our miracle worker. We thank you that you're our promise keeper. And Lord, with everything we face before us right now, we declare that our hope is in you, Lord. Thank you that you're the one who makes a way where there seems to be no way. Thank you that you're the one who makes a way, even in the wilderness, Lord God, you make a way. And today, Lord, we declare right now, and perhaps friends, even in this place, if there's something that is really looming so big before you now, Maybe a Goliath before you, a great fear, concern, whatever it is. I'm sure we all have things we're facing. Would you just turn your eyes again on the Lord and say, you are my way maker. Thank you, God, that you're going to make a way. My trust and my hope is in you today, Lord God. I thank you now, Lord, for hope rising in hearts. I thank you for courageous faith, Lord, to believe you for great things. You are the one who makes a way for us, Lord. We just celebrate you. We glorify you. We worship you today, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And we all said, Amen. And amen. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Please take your seats. Feels like we're back in the hall again. And uh, just to say a very big welcome to everyone today. If you're our guest, and uh, if you, especially if you haven't been with us before, we'd love to hear from you. There's a response card that you can click on in the link. And uh, that will just be to, just to hear from you. And if you respond in some way today, in any way, or if there's a question you have or a prayer request, and that applies to everyone in our church, Please, would you use that response card? Let us know. We'd love to be praying with you, standing with you, helping in whatever way. So thank you so much for that. If you're from some other part of the, the nation or even the world, please say hello on Facebook. It would be great to hear from you as well. And uh, if you are hearing the from Toti, you can say your amen. All right, good. So we're going to turn to the Word. And um, I'll start off with this today and say that there were a few times when our girls were very little, very young, where Lori, my wife, had to be away for a day or two. It didn't happen often, but there were times where I would have to look after the girls on my own, okay? And in those times, Lori would usually leave me instructions written or typed instructions, and I would pay extra careful attention to her instructions because I wanted to make sure that when my darling wife returned home, she found our daughters alive and well, all right? And so, friends, if you have someone important who is going away, they're going somewhere, and they leave instructions, generally, we pay attention to those instructions, don't we? And so, in this series, we are looking at Jesus' last 40 days on earth, from his, the time of his resurrection to the time of his ascension to the Father. And today, we're turning the focus onto the things that Jesus said, the teachings and the instructions that he gave to his followers who were going to carry the mission forward. All right, so let's have a look first at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. This is how the book of Acts opens. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Right, so the first thing that Jesus had to do, as we've spoken about previously, is he had to convince his disciples that he was actually alive, that he had risen from the grave. And last Sunday, Grant spoke to us about Jesus convincing Thomas that he was resurrected from the grave. At the end of Luke's gospel account, we read of Jesus opening the minds of his disciples to understand the scriptures, to understand what was written about him. Now, yeah, in Verse 3, we read of something else that Jesus focused on in these last 40 days that he really zoomed in on, if you like, okay? And that is this topic of the kingdom of God. He wanted his disciples to catch this, all right? Now, 
The book of Acts begins with Jesus focusing on the kingdom of God before he ascends to the Father. Do you know how the book of Acts ends? Here are the last two verses in Acts. Acts chapter 28, verses 30 to 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Isn't that amazing? So this is Paul's time in Rome. He's in his house. People come to him. He proclaims and teaches on the kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom, Jesus Christ. So the book of Acts begins and ends, if you like, with a focus on the kingdom of God. This is something, friends, that as Jesus focused on, it's something I believe we really need to focus on, especially at this time that we find ourselves in. So first question, what is a kingdom in a general sense? What is a kingdom? Well, it sounds like two words put together, king and domain. So it is the domain of a king or a queen. So my dictionary defines it like this. It says a country, state, or territory ruled by a king or queen. So we're talking about something you could describe it as a place where a king or a queen rule and reign. Okay, now when we turn to ask what the kingdom of God is, and by the way, the Bible also speaks of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, they are largely the same thing, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. The first thing is we don't open up a world map and find this place marked with a certain color, say a certain color and say, right, there it is, there is the kingdom of God. It's not speaking about some geographic location on the earth, right? Rather, it speaks more of a sphere of influence or rulership. It's where God rules and reigns. So you could say that the kingdom of God is where Christ reigns, and where God's will is done, where Christ reigns, and where God's will is done, all right, so this is why the kingdom of God could come upon a city that we might otherwise think is quite an ungodly place, because the kingdom of God can come when Christians in that city are living, their hearts and lives are under the rule and the reign of Jesus the king, and when churches in that city have Jesus ruling and reigning over them, even I believe businesses and organizations could also have that ruling and reigning, of the king over them. All right, so that's the kingdom of God. It's very much about authority. And let's talk about authority and let's look at the story of God's kingdom. Okay, authority is quite a helpful way to look at God's kingdom. The starting point is that God currently is, right now, where we are in history, currently is, he always has been and he always will be the supreme authority. God is sovereign. He has all power. He has all control. All right, now, in the beginning, that's our beginning, our history, God creates this paradise on earth called the Garden of Eden. And he creates humankind, Adam and Eve, in his image, in his likeness. He places them in the garden and he gives them rulership and dominion over the earth. And today, friends, we still exercise that out of all creation. It's humankind that exercises rulership. We don't always do a good job of it. If you think of pollution and the other devastating things we do on the earth today, okay? Be that as it may, that's, that's something for another time. So we have, this is how it begins. Then the devil enters the story. Notice that the devil doesn't just march into the Garden of Eden and take rulership and dominion away from Adam and Eve. He couldn't do that. He didn't have the authority to do so and, and probably lacked the power, we could say, to do that too. Instead, the devil employs cunning and deceit. He deceives them into rebelling against God, into disobeying God, and eating the forbidden fruit. And when Adam and Eve sin, one of the consequences is that there is, as they come into agreement with the devil, there is a sense of authority being transferred and given over to him. There was an empowering of the enemy that took place over there. And of course, 
through that sin, the door was open to sickness, disease, death, uh, everything that is wrong in the world today. That's part of Satan's kingdom of darkness that came in at that point in history. All right. So we're going to jump forward to have a look at something in Luke chapter 4, verses 5 to 8. This is where Jesus is facing the temptation of Satan. And uh, we read this. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. All right. Some say that because Satan is the father of lies, that he was just lying here, that he didn't actually have this authority and uh, yeah, that, that he didn't actually have something to pass on to Jesus. And the interesting thing, friends, is that Jesus doesn't call him out on it. Jesus doesn't rebuke him and say, Satan, you're a liar. You don't have any authority to give me. All right. Even if Satan was perhaps exaggerating, it does appear that there was something. There was authority that had been given to him and that he had something to offer to give to Jesus if Jesus worshipped him. That was the shortcut. That was the easy way. Just worship me, Jesus, and I'll give it all to you. But of course, if Jesus did that, he would have been sinning because only God is to be worshipped and no one else. And in that way, then, if Jesus did that, even if he was given authority, he'd never been able to go to the cross to offer himself as a sacrifice for you and me. All right. So that's one. Let's have a look at another account. This is where Jesus had driven a demon out of a mute man. And some of the people were thinking that he was doing this by the power of Beelzebub, who was the prince of demons. And so Jesus responds to them in this way, in Luke chapter 11, verses 17 to 20. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? If I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub, now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So notice in this, in this little passage, friends, that Jesus speaks about two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And his argument to them is that if you're saying that I'm doing this by the power of Satan, it means that Satan is pushing back his own kingdom. Why on earth would he do that? But, says Jesus... This is the thing. My driving out of this demon has actually proved to you that the kingdom of God has come upon you. All right. So remember that God has at all times throughout the ages, he has always been sovereign and in control. But his kingdom came to earth with his son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus came into this world. He was born a king. Remember the Magi came from the east to worship the one who had been born king of the Jews. The Virgin Mary was told that her baby's kingdom would never end. Right? So Jesus is born a king. And look at how Jesus launches his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 in the ESV. We read, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's so close, you can reach out and take hold of it. And Jesus didn't only preach and teach about his kingdom. He demonstrated it as well. Nigel Measures says this, As the sick were healed, the oppressed delivered, sinners received grace and mercy, injustice and exploitation stopped. This was the kingdom of God, breaking like light into darkness and demonstrating God's rule on the earth. So an example of this, in Mark chapter 1 verse 27, after Jesus had driven out a demon, 
we read this. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. All right. Not only did Jesus teach with authority, but he demonstrated God's rule on earth. He also demonstrated the authority that he had over the powers of darkness. In Matthew chapter 4, we read that Jesus healed every sickness and disease. Now, this is important because Jesus was demonstrating that sickness and disease were not part of his kingdom. And he was showing again his power and authority over sickness and disease. And even before Jesus went to the cross, in Matthew 10, he calls his 12 disciples to him. He sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he gives them authority to heal every sickness and disease and to drive out demons. It's amazing. This is even before he goes to the cross that he, uh, he enables and he authorizes his disciples in this way. Now, the great showdown between the two kingdoms happens at Calvary, where Jesus on the cross wins the decisive victory over the kingdom of darkness. There are so many scriptures that we could quote here, but here are just two examples for you. Firstly, Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. All right, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shed in the humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were in slavery by their fear of death. Just two passages that speak of this decisive victory that Jesus won on the cross. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and the first part of 19 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is an interesting one to interpret because Jesus has already shown his authority over every sickness and disease and even over demons. So what is this all authority that he received? The best way to understand it is that God the Father has always had all authority, all right? He, all authority, vests in him. And now he gives Jesus absolute authority over every possible sphere. There is nothing in heaven nor on earth that is not subject to the authority of Jesus Christ. And Jesus receives this authority not by taking the shortcuts that the devil tempted him to take, but through a life of obedience. He obeyed his Father, fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law, and then was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. All right? And then from this place of authority, Jesus now passes that authority on to his disciples. We're going to look at that next time. All right? So let's carry on. In summary then, when Jesus came to earth, he brought the kingdom of God to earth. Through his life, his death, and his resurrection, the kingdom of God was inaugurated or established here on earth. When Jesus returned to the Father, he didn't take his kingdom back to heaven with him, but that kingdom, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, continues to extend today. And we await the return of the king because that will be the perfection or the consummation of the kingdom of God. All right, so that's where we're at right now. Now to illustrate this, this is an old illustration. I've used this through many years, but it's something I've always found helpful. So here's a picture of what it looks like. My left arm represents the kingdom of darkness. Okay, the devil's kingdom. 
My elbow here is the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. This is where the devil's kingdom effectively begins to run on the earth. And over here at the end, this is the return of the king. This is when Satan's kingdom on earth will come to an end, when Jesus returns. All right, so that's the first part. Then we have the kingdom of God, my right arm. Okay, this kingdom starts on earth. Although God has always been in control, he's been at work in the earth. This kingdom is established on earth when Jesus comes to earth. Jesus the king comes and establishes his kingdom. When he returns to the Father, he doesn't take his kingdom back with him, but it continues to extend. And it doesn't stop at my elbow. Okay, this kingdom carries on into eternity. Jesus' kingdom is a never-ending kingdom. All right? So picture it like this. Now, notice that the devil's kingdom is still present. Even though Jesus has won the decisive victory over Satan on the cross, you just have to look around you to realize there's still evil in the world today. So the enemy's kingdom, even though defeated, the enemy is still at work on the planet. And so we find ourselves, friends, in this place, the overlap between the two kingdoms. There are two kingdoms present, kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. And we await the return of Jesus the king over here. Because on that day, when that happens, when Jesus returns, this kingdom is forever removed. And along with it goes everything that is wrong in the world today. Pain, suffering, sickness, disease, death, murder, war, whatever, you name it. Everything wrong in our world today will be taken away. And God's kingdom will continue throughout the ages, all eternity, with a new heaven and a new earth. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I hope that helps you. And I want to keep referencing that in just a moment. So, in these last 40 days on earth, Jesus really focuses on his kingdom. And friends, I want to say to you that I think a kingdom focus is something so important for us, especially in the time we're living in now. And I want to turn to some application for us today. So, let's ask a big question. Is COVID-19 God's judgment on the earth? <laughs> There's a big question. And I've heard some prominent Christians, even Christian leaders, saying that God is actually behind COVID-19. Okay, now, this is a big question. There's so much that could be said in, in trying to, to work through this. But I want to offer you some thoughts, and I do this with great humility and great respect. Okay, so first, let's start like this. In terms of determining the source, when it comes to good things, it's a no-brainer. There's no question, really. James 1 verse 17 in the ESV says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, if you're looking at the good things, the good gifts, they're from God, not from Satan. No debate. Okay, that's easy. But what about the bad stuff? What about things like COVID-19? Could this be God's judgment? You know, God doing something. So I want to say this to you. To you. I'm not even going to attempt a fullest answer possible. I want, to, I want to bring to you a caution today that goes back to the book of Job. Remember the story of Job. Job was an upright and blameless man. God said of Job that there was no other man like him on the earth. Okay, It's a big claim to make. But this is Job. Satan is allowed by God to test Job. God doesn't do the testing, but he sets the boundaries in terms of what the devil's allowed to do. The devil tests Job and it looks like hell on earth for Job. Honestly, just... The stuff that goes wrong, if you're familiar with the story, is it's crazy. Okay, in this time of testing, Job's three friends come to him to comfort him. All right, and after sitting silently for a while, they begin to argue with Job, and they say this: They say, Job, you need to repent and confess your sin. You've sinned against God. God is punishing you. Repent, confess, and get this over with. Right? And they argue about this. Now think about it. it sounds like very orthodox 
Very wise counsel. Hey, stuff's going wrong in your life. God must be sorting you out. You better repent. You better confess. The problem for the three friends is when God speaks at the end of the story, he rebukes those three men. And he said that his anger burned against them because they had not spoken the truth about him as Job had. In other words, friends, get this. In trying to explain God when it came to Job's suffering, they misrepresented him. Okay, so with that caution in mind, I want to be very careful about being quick to say this is God's judgment. I'd be very careful. Unless God personally whispers it in my ear and gives me a firm conviction, I'd be careful about that. Okay, just like I'd be careful about saying this is God slapping people around. He's trying to get them to wake up and to repent. It's interesting because um, in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, we read that it's the kindness of God that's meant to lead us to repentance. So please hear what I'm saying in this. The caution is this. When it comes to trying to explain God, when it comes to human suffering, friends, God's ways are infinitely above and beyond our ways. Honestly, there are ways of God that we will never understand in this lifetime here on earth. So do you hear my heart, my caution here? Just be careful about pointing those things to God when God, we might end up misrepresenting. I hope you hear the caution in my heart today. Now, someone might say this. Okay, I've got some questions for you. Let's look at the questions. Okay, so question one, is God good? Absolutely. God is love himself. God is absolutely pure, good, loving, kind, merciful. All right. Question two, is God in control? Absolutely. He is sovereign. He is supremely in control of all things. Question three, could God stop COVID-19? Answer, absolutely. God could, without even getting out of his throne, shout stop, and that would be the end of COVID-19. It would literally vanish off the face of the earth. Just like Jesus calmed the storm with one word, God could give the order and the disease would stop. All right. And between us, I'm still hoping and praying he's going to do that in regions of the world, including our own country. All right. But here's the next thing. Okay, so if God is good, if he's in control, then why isn't a good loving God who's all powerful stopping COVID-19 right now? Okay, this goes back, friends, to a question that people have grappled with through the ages. And it's this. How can a kind, loving, good God allow evil and suffering in the world? It's a big question. I'm sure many of you will have wrestled with this question as well. So remembering my earlier caution, I'm not... Coming here today to say I can give you the full answer in every way. But I wanted to really focus on the kingdom of God because for me on my Christian journey, it's given me this picture of the overlapping kingdoms has given me the best possible answer that I can find to understanding that question. Why does that a good, loving, kind God who is in total control can still allow evil and suffering in the world? Let's open it up some more. Okay. Think about things like earthquakes, hurricanes, tsunamis. They natural disasters. But what did we often call them? We call them acts of God. Okay. Isn't it amazing that we blame God for natural disasters that were never part of his original creation? They weren't there in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 before the fall. And we read about this some more to open it up in Romans chapter 8 verses 19 to 22. We read this. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Okay, so let me explain this to you. What it's saying, friends, is that human beings aren't the only one 
aren't the only ones who were affected by the fall. Creation itself has been, um, has been subject to a whole lot. Yeah, it's referred to as frustration. The ESV refers to it as futility along with humankind. And there is this bondage to decay that creation itself, the whole world, is being waiting to be set free from. Okay, so as verse 22 says, we read that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So my friend Stan Phipps was talking about this the other day and saying that some of these natural disasters can actually be part of this groaning process that this earth that has been so afflicted by sin is itself being going through whilst it waits for the children of God to be revealed. And that's speaking of us and our time at the, at the day of the Lord that we're going to read about in just a moment. Friends, COVID-19 is ultimately part of the fall. It's part of the fall. Through sin, the door was open to sickness, disease, including COVID-19 and everything else that is wrong in our world today. And it's not just us that we're affected as human beings. Our very planet, as a result of man's rebellion, has been subject to decay, to brokenness and to pain. All right. And in the midst of all of this, we still have the kingdom of darkness still at work. The devil still doing his evil through his demonic realm. You're on the face of the earth. All right. So God at this time, what's the picture of God? He's not sitting in heaven with arms folded, just watching what's going on. Of course, even in a time like we're going through, God is bringing healing to people. He is bringing breakthrough where it's needed. He is providing for his people. God is still at work. But the question still remains, if God is good, loving and kind, if he's able, why hasn't he just put a stop to COVID-19 altogether? And for that matter, to all suffering and pain on the earth today, to all evil. Okay, So to answer that, if you go back to this picture of the overlapping kingdoms that I've been demonstrating for you, the answer is that God is going to do that. There is a day coming. It's this day over here called the day of the Lord, when Jesus Christ returns again. Now, if you are a believer watching this, a follower of Jesus, the day of the Lord is one of the best things that we can hope for. Because, friends, when we have our resurrected bodies and we are with God, God makes his dwelling among people, new heavens, new earth. You're not going to look back to anything in this lifetime and long for it. Think of anything. Think of your bras, whatever. Okay, The nicest things we have here, we're not even going to miss them because that is how incredible eternity is going to be. So this is something to look forward to. All right. But the return of Jesus Christ is not going to be good news for those who are not believers. And the reason for that is because that we speak about God's judgment. That is when the Bible says God's judgment will come upon the earth. And a key passage for us in this regard is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 and 10. It says this, By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Do, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Okay? So first thing, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to fear this day. Because this judgment being spoken of here is not something that God's children will face. Alright? But the day of the Lord will be a dreadful thing for those who've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, because it will be judgment day, and it'll be too late to repent at that point in time. So please hear me, this explains why God, at this point in time, has not removed pain, suffering, and evil. The reason 
is because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants to allow time, patiently to allow time for people to repent and to put their faith in, in his son, Jesus Christ. There is an appointed day over here for the day of the Lord. It's going to come like a thief. It's going to catch people by surprise. But when this day comes, friend, this kingdom of darkness is forever removed. And then we're in, you want to call it heaven. That is paradise. That is new heaven, new earth with God forever. That is paradise, friends. But the reason we're not there yet, the reason why there is still suffering and evil on the earth, it is because God in His kindness, His, His mercy, His love, He is patiently allowing time for people to repent, to turn to His Son, Jesus Christ, because His heart is that no one should perish. That is the heart of our Father. I'm not saying that this picture explains everything. I'm not trying to be so arrogant to say it answers maybe every possible question you could have. But friends, for me, on my Christian journey, this picture has probably provided me with the best way of trying to understand why there's still evil and suffering in our world today. And I hope it does help you. But let me say this too. The kingdom of God is not just for then. It's for now as well. And N.T. Wright says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is not about people going to heaven. It is about the rule of heaven coming to earth. When Matthew has Jesus talking about heaven's kingdom, he means that heaven, in other words, the God of heaven, is establishing his sovereign rule, not just in heaven, but on earth as well. Okay? Our greatest need as men and women is to be reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son. That's our greatest need. But the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is not just our escape plan to get out of hell, to escape this world that's going to be destroyed, and to... To, yeah, to escape earth, if you like, okay? Friends, that's not the way to see it. The kingdom of God is about God's sovereign rule coming to earth. It's about, as it is in heaven, you're on earth right now. It's about His kingdom being extended over the earth. Remember that we are still living in this time of the overlapping kingdoms, okay? But we should be living to see more and more of God's kingdom extended over the earth. His rule and His reign. And remember this, Jesus didn't only teach about his kingdom, but he demonstrated it too. And the same way we should be living by faith to not only proclaim, but to demonstrate the kingdom of God. We should be looking to see the Lord setting the oppressed free as we pray for them, as we step out and minister. We should be looking to see those who are sick healed, including those who have COVID-19 for that matter. We should be looking to see the provision of heaven, like the economy of heaven breaking over over those who need God's provision. Romans 14, 17 tells us that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. How we need that now. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of heaven is about transformation of lives and even transformation of communities. My friends, the kingdom of God is not just for then, for one day. The kingdom of God is for now. And we're going to continue next time to look at the authority that Jesus passed on to his disciples, which he also passes on to us. We'll carry on with that then. But I wonder if we could pray now, and I wonder if you join me as we pray together. And we just say, Lord, we just don't, we, we know that we can't explain everything, Lord. We know that your ways are supremely above and beyond our ways and our understanding. We know, Lord, there are things that you do that we'll only fully be able to make sense of when we're in eternity one day. But Lord, we know this, that you are not blind to the pain and the suffering that our world is experiencing right now. We know, Lord, that it's not a case of you not caring. We know that it's not a case of you not using your power. But we understand today, Lord, that the reason why you are patiently waiting is because you are giving people time to repent in your kindness and mercy and grace with your heart that no one should perish, 
you are giving time for people to turn. And we want to pray that we'd have that heart today, Lord, for loved ones, for family members, for friends, for work colleagues, neighbors, Lord, those around us, whoever it may be. We want to pray today, Lord, that we'd share your heart. This is a time. It's not too late. It's not too late. It's not judgment day yet. It's not too late. And Father, we want to pray today that you would give us your heart to see those whom we love turning in repentance to you, Jesus Christ. Even now, Lord, we pray that, that we would pray, that we would use the opportunities that you give us. But Lord, give us the great joy of seeing hearts turning to you and people coming home in faith to you, Lord God. We pray this today and ask for it. And Lord, we thank you that the kingdom of God isn't just something we cling to, that, that we long for and hope for, Lord, for one day. The kingdom of God is for now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you return to the Father, you didn't take your kingdom back with you. Your kingdom, your rule and reign is continuing to extend over the earth. And even as you taught us to pray as your disciples, Jesus, we want to continue to pray your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we want to see your reign, King Jesus, extended. We want to see God's will being done in an ever-increasing measure in our city, in our nation, and across the nations of this earth. And so today, Lord, we want to pray to that we wouldn't only talk about the kingdom, but give us courageous faith, Lord, to step out and to demonstrate it too, as Jesus did and as his disciples did. As disciples of you, Jesus, you call us to continue where you left off. And we want to pray, Lord, that we would be praying for the sick. We would be seeing the oppressed set free. We would be praying for your provision in situations. We would see, Lord, your peace and your joy released into lives. We'd see lives transformed and changed. We pray this today, Lord God. Lead us, Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the good news. Not only of the King, Lord, you are our central focus, but thank you, Lord, for your kingdom. And Lord, as you taught us to, we want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing, Lord, that everything else we need will be added as well. Oh, we thank you for this today, Lord. You're so good. You're so amazing. We would have no other king but you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. And together we all said, Amen. Amen. Now, before I finish, I do want to just continue praying for anyone today who's watching this, who has never come to the place of surrendering to Jesus the King. You've never come to a place of calling on Him, or perhaps you've wandered away from Jesus in a big way. I'm not talking about just having a bad week, but you know your life has drifted far from God. And if you today want to make right with Him, or for the first time call on Jesus' name, will you pray this prayer with me and mean it today with all of your hearts and say, Jesus Christ, I call on you to save me. Lord, I confess that I've sinned against you. I make no excuse for my sin. Lord, I ask you today, would you forgive me completely for all that I've done wrong? I receive your forgiveness today, Lord God. And as I receive your mercy and grace, thank you that you adopt me into your family. Thank you that you receive me into your kingdom today. Thank you that I'm yours. And as I follow you, Jesus, I pray now that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you'd open up your word to me, and you'd give me grace and strength for every day. I pray this now in Jesus' name. And we say it together, amen and amen. If you pray that prayer today, would you... Click that response card. We'd love to know and to help you in whatever way we can. And if there's any other uh, prayer requests or help needed, please with you also let us know via those response cards. As we finish off, friends, a few quick announcements. So just very quickly, I'm so aware in a time of isolation like this, we can have a bit of a frog in the boiling water thing, if you know that story. okay? And um, the thing is that I've seen this in a number of different ways, just without even being aware of it. As we're locked up in our homes, there can be a steady withdrawal from relationships and from community. Now, the thing is, in the ordinary course, to maintain and to build relationships or to build community, it takes effort. Use the example of church. If you 
go to church or if you go to a home group or you go have coffee with someone, it takes effort to get there. Isn't that so? And of course, you watching today, so well done, that's great. But I want to ask you in great love today, take stock of your life and just check that you, in the midst of this isolation and this lockdown, that you haven't actually been withdrawing from relationships and from community. Put in the effort, my friends, because you and I need community. We need relationships and we need your fellowship as well. And so I want to encourage you in that today. Don't withdraw into your shell, so to speak. And that applies to extroverts and introverts. I must make that very clear as well. So put in the effort. It is so worth it. I hope that makes sense. And on that note, we are going to have another Zoom prayer meeting on Tuesday night. There'll be no password, no waiting room. You'll be able to come straight in, but please come and pray with us. I can't stress how important it is through this season that we that we are now venturing. We need to be praying, friends. So please come and join us at seven o'clock. We'll send out the meeting ID to you. And it was in the quick mail as well that you would have received. And finally, Sherry in our church, uh, she raised a, a suggestion. She said, could we not as a church look to work through a reading plan, a Bible reading plan together? And we thought it was a great idea, something we'd like to try. So this week, Monday, we've got a six-week plan. We thought we'll start with something easy. It's uh, one of the version originals, they call it. It's called Fruit of the Spirit. That's what it looks like. Hope you can see it. And um, very easy. This is something that your primary school kids, your teenagers can do with you. So why don't you join us? Just for six days, uh, we'll have something on Facebook every day where you can post comments about things that are spoken to you, stirred in your heart, stories, whatever we can share together. But let's, let's do this reading plan together, okay, as a church community, and we trust it'll be a blessing. Finally, I want to say thank you to everyone who has given to the church and been generous towards others. And uh, I just want to say this, uh, I want to read over you this prayer that Paul prayed to the Philippian church who had been amazingly generous themselves. And in Philippians 4.19, this famous verse, he says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And I want to pray that now as well, Lord, even as we seek first your kingdom, and Lord, as we step out in courageous faith in being generous and giving to you and sharing with others, thank you, Lord, that you are the one who more than provides, who takes care of us, who always gives even more than enough in terms of what we need. You provide for us. And Lord, even now again, as we have given, as we're about to give, as we share and are generous with others, thank you, Lord, for the confidence that we can have, that your blessing is upon us, that you are our provider in all seasons, that you always take care of us. We thank you for this today, Lord. Thank you for your protection over us, we pray, and your favor and blessing in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, our details will come up as always at the end. But thank you for joining us. God bless you. Have an amazing week. We'll see you on Tuesday. Start the Bible plan tomorrow with us and um, post some comments on Facebook after as over a cup of coffee. God bless you. Thank you so much.